Welcome to the world of fiction, where we're lying, but that's okay. One prepared host, two neurodivergent nerds, two authors dig deeper into the lies that expose truths. If you're a fan of fiction with a curious mind, tune in each week for discussions on speculative worlds, fandom, the industry, and creating. Welcome to We're Lying, and That's Okay. I'm one of your hosts, J.S. Garrity. And I am the other, Ludlow Adams. And it's We're Lying, But That's Okay. Oh, my bad. We're Lying, <laughs> But That's Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So one prepared host and two neurodi- neurodivergent nerds. So yeah, sometimes we're going we're gonna to foul stuff up, everybody. It's just part of the process <laughs> for us. Yeah, you're just going to have to be patient with our brains. And for those who don't know, I am the prepared host, and Ludlow is the unprepared host. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> unprepared it sounds so negative, but... I. Uh, so what happens is JS picks our topic and has as much time um, to prepare as she wants or, and or can fit in. I, on the other hand, get the topic about... Tw- a half an hour before we start recording, which has been really interesting. We're both trying to play into <laughs> what we consider to be our strengths. JS is absolutely incredible at preparing and getting, doing research and getting things ready. And uh, I'm, I guess, uh, pretty good on my feet, usually. Yep. So today we're going to be talking about mental illness in fiction, how it's portrayed, why it's important. Uh, we'll touch a little bit on the fascination of if uh, in serial killers, um, and mostly talk about our own work in this episode about what we do with mental illness in our own writing or plan to do in our own writing. Um, and this is sort of uh, a continuation, or I guess going deeper on a specific facet of our episode from last week about the darkening of fiction. Yeah. I'm I'm kind of looking forward to this. Well, I look forward to all of our, all of our podcasts. Uh, They're great conversations. I think Uh, this one, especially it's so close to home for both of us um, Mm -hmm. being people who actually deal with this day to day. Mm -hmm. So for starters, let's, get into representation because previously mental illness has not been represented accurately or respectfully in in media particularly i think with fantasy versus um more realistic fiction tends to ignore or just kind of gloss over some of those things Mm -hmm. and then contemporary fiction in the past has done a lot of villainization of mental illness, particularly the more severe mental illnesses. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's kind of frustrating that, you know, in the world of fiction, most of what we see when it comes to mental illness is, um, what is it, psychopathy? So, mm-hmm. or uh, sociopathy. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like well hold on a second there's a lot more than this we see 
depression sometimes. We see alcoholism, which I'm going to go ahead. I mean, it's a medical condition, but it's also usually from other things um, mm -hmm. or it exacerbates other things quite a bit. Yeah. And it's, it's it can be treated the same way as other mental illnesses with yeah. psychotherapy and um, and medications. Yeah. yeah, I would. Yeah, I would categorize it with that. And that's yeah. not to say that people don't do bad things if they have a mental illness. It's not like if you have a mental illness, you're incapable of doing bad things. That's definitely not true. And we're not trying to say you should never have a character who is abusive or a serial killer, one of those things, and never make them have a mental illness because you don't want to villainize or whatever. That's not true. Um, but there needs to be a balance in well, how it's represented. Yeah, they need to be they need to be a well-formed character in general. Um, mm -hmm. Anybody who has been looking at this kind of topic of, hey, how do I write about people who are not, quote unquote, the average person, um, you know, start with, um, oh, my gosh, what's the name of the book? Um, we did it as part of, uh, so the, one of the serial killer one. No, 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 no. The um, the workbook that we did about... Oh, Writing the Other. Thank you. By Nisi Shaw and... Oh my gosh, what's, what's the other one's name? But if you just Google Writing the Other, you'll find yeah. it. Yeah, it's a good book. Um, the book itself will tell you, hey, this is just the starting point. Um, and I absolutely agree with that. It's a great way to start thinking about things. So, and really what it comes down to is if you're writing a character, they should be, they should be well-formed anyway, regardless, mm -hmm. uh, especially your main characters or your secondary characters. You know, as you get further away from that main character, it doesn't necessarily have to be as well thought out. Um, it helps if it is, let's be honest here, but you don't have to put nearly as much time and detail into it for tertiary and et cetera kinds of characters yeah so what gets frustrating is seeing a you know somebody who's depressed is always suicidal or something along mm -hmm. those lines that 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 gets kind of rough um yeah but that's what we see we see the you know thrice divorced private detective who obviously is clinically depressed who's also a raging alcoholic and mm -hmm. you know um but doesn't deal with any of those things in anything remotely resembling a real way. Yeah. And there's stereotypes and obviously most stereotypes come from a kernel of truth, Yeah. but relying on those stereotypes to create a character instead of yeah. creating a character who happens to have some of these struggles. Yeah. I and mean, that's, that's where the problem lies and, yeah. and what, making well-rounded characters is going to do is it's going to attribute their behaviors and their choices to their character and their choices yeah. instead of pinning it on a mental illness. Yeah. And if their entire identity is I'm a psychopath, then the, all their behaviors are blamed on that mental illness rather than yeah. the individual. 
And as a really quick note for our listeners, this is not going to be a podcast episode necessarily about how to write these things or how to create these things. We're going to touch on some of that, but we're, we are not actually trying to put together a podcast about writing. We're trying to put together a podcast about fiction from the perspective of two people who happen to have some mental health crap going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not it's not a writing instructional po- podcast. Um, uh, you know, we talk about all the different ways to interact with fiction, whether that be writing it, consuming it, um, diving all in as a hardcore fan. Yeah, and we check all of those categories in various different facets and aspects of fiction. So yeah. sometimes our own writing will come up and this mm-hmm. is one of those times because we both value and place at high um, importance representing mental illness in our own work. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, let's, let's point out a couple of classic perspectives um you know last week or in the episode that will be premiering a week before this one you mentioned of course tolkien and uh and lord of the rings and frodo coming home and basically being mentally shattered his was for Mm -hmm. as much magical reasons as anything else it was still a really good representation of what ptsd can Mm -hmm. do to someone now tolkien didn't know it as ptsd he you know, that generation kind of understood it as uh, shell shock, mm-hmm. but they understood and we've understood for probably a couple millennia that combat and war can absolutely affect the brain. Any mm-hmm. kind of traumatic event can affect the brain yeah, um, and change it, change yeah. it beyond what it was ever probably designed for. Yeah. So when you're thinking, wait, how does mental illness fit into these fantasies and these sci-fis? It, it makes sense. There's no way to avoid it yeah. with your cast of the, the size of the cast of characters that most of these epic speculative works have. Yeah. Someone is going to be yeah. negatively impacted by, by violence and war and, yeah. and struggle. And I think that's one of the things to kind of keep in mind, um, you know, fiction that doesn't show people who have some of these these issues can still be really compelling. It can be a lot of fun. It can be really good. It's just not necessarily going to be nearly as realistic as it could otherwise be. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's our diagnostics. We're definitely getting better at saying, hey, this person is dealing with this issue. Yeah, I don't know that more and more people are running or ending up with it. I think we're just getting a lot better about figuring it out. 50 mm-hmm. years ago, it was, you know, well, so-and-so is just kind of simple or, mm-hmm. you know, they're just a little off. They don't mean any harm. Mm-hmm. Um, or they do know. mean harm and their ex- their behavior is impulsive and aggressive and yeah. and we don't have another way to explain it. Yeah. 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 I think that the destigmatizing of some of the um I don't want to say less severe because obviously there's different <laughs> levels of severity. Um maybe maybe but the, the ones common that colds, as, right? Yeah. Or the I was gonna colds. say the ones that aren't as dramatic or dramatically mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. Yeah, the ones that are most prevalent. Yeah. That you could say 
almost everyone at some point in their life experiences anxiety. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say everyone because that's a that's an an absolute and absolutes are not how the world works, but most people I feel comfortable saying have experienced a moment of anxiety in their yeah. life. Not to and, mention a period of depression, insomnia, yep. you know, exactly. most people have had a couple bad nights of sleep in a row and didn't think much of it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And those things are becoming safer to talk about and yeah. more accepted and I yeah. think that is why things are getting better in media portrayal yeah. because it's no longer considered um, such a stigma. Yeah. Even when I was a kid and, you know, I was a, a kid in the 90s and early 2000s, which was obviously already way better than it had previously been. But even for me as a kid, seeing a therapist was like, oh, that's for the crazy kooks, right? Yeah. And I never told anyone except for my very, very best friend that I saw a therapist. And now everyone knows I see a therapist. I'm very yeah. open about that online. Yeah. It's no secret anymore. But as a kid, you you know, people would whisper at school like, oh, did you hear so-and-so's depressed? Yeah, they're, it's so bad they have to see a therapist or I heard they're on medication. It, it hasn't been that long since that's what the world was like. Yeah. I think there's actually another reason it, we're seeing it more and more in fiction. And that's because I think the treatments have been getting much, much more effective mm-hmm. as we understand things more, especially as we add in gosh, computers to our everyday world and we're able to crunch data in ways that even five years ago, nobody would have believed just Mm -hmm. the amounts of things that we can go through now. We're people like you and I, I'm pretty severely uh, bipolar as well as um, have a mood disorder. I I forget exactly what all of the, what the the entire list is. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, 20 years ago, I, I could barely function 21 years ago, um, even even mm-hmm. 14, 15 years ago, it, it was it was an absolute struggle. It's yeah. really been in the last like eight years that we've gotten my medication down to the point where I more or less function. Mm-hmm. I have friends who, you know, this topic comes up in, in conversation. I'm like, yeah, I'm bipolar. And that's just again, that's just one thing. And they're like, really, you don't seem bipolar. Well, thanks. Uh, I work really hard at it. I'm really good about taking my medication. And I also, like most mentally ill people or who are neurodivergent, whatever language you as a listener prefer, um, we curate. We don't show the world our really bad moments. We show Mm -hmm. the world our neutral to good moments. Mm -hmm. And if we do choose to share something darker... It is very controlled, yeah. <laughs> a very um, yeah. conscious decision. Yeah. And yeah. if it slips out without us, you know, being in control, then that is a breakdown. And usually breakdowns are seen still quite yeah. negatively. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm pretty open about things, mostly because it was a phone call from a friend that put me on the path of getting treated. And I would mm-hmm. honestly say um, this friend saved my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm pretty open about it so that other people can see it. So yeah. as people, as people who have some of these um, diagnoses or maybe have not been diagnosed, but are dealing with these issues, we are, um, as we're getting better at, at functioning day to day compared to the rest of the world or, or quote unquote, the average person, we are ending up telling some of these stories much more often than we did 50, 60 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we know that there were some mentally ill writers in the past. Um, mm-hmm. and some of them are some of the, some of the, the great names, especially in horror and dark fantasy or dark fiction. Um, yeah. but at the same time, you know, those they're notable because they're notable. Like, you know, it's mm-hmm. they're we we know about them and so those are the those are the one in a million or one in a thousand or whatever it is. And yeah. we don't know we don't see the other ninety nine point nine percent of people who are struggling with it who tried to write stories and couldn't couldn't get it to work. Exactly. Or something. So yeah. Now we get to be in charge of some of that representation. So we're trying to show it more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't have a discussion about representation without bringing up Moon Knight because mm-hmm. DID, Dissociative Identity Disorder, previously known as multi, uh, Multiple Personality Disorder, has been one of the most misrepresented mental illnesses in media and the most sensationalized Mm -hmm. because it lends itself to drama right yeah i mean growing up i saw episodes of tv shows and you know if there's of course movies about people with multiple personalities as they would say and um i grew up believing it wasn't real (laughs) because i thought it was a made-up thing for media and misrepresenting it in the way media has done totally lends itself to seeming like some kind of mystical fictional thing right yeah um and moon knight while it wasn't perfect and a lot of the community disagrees on how well it was was done most of the community at least that i have interacted with felt like it was the best there has ever been as far as representing DID accurately and not using it for sensationalism. But, you know, the superpowers are something that he has regardless of his um, neurotype and his trauma. And the DID is just something he also has as a character. So... Again, back to the well-rounded characters, the D- the DID isn't his entire identity. It's not even his m- the most important identity as a superhero. The DID actually gets in the way sometimes, rather than being um, portrayed like it's a superpower. And it, it it was progress, and part of why it was done better than any others is because they actually consulted people with 
dissociative identity disorder mm-hmm. for the show. Yeah. And that is a big deal. <laughs> Trying to write these things without consulting the people who have experienced them is, is shooting yourself in the foot. It, yeah. It's setting yourself up for failure. And we're, you're seeing this all through fiction. Um, and it's not just neurodivergent um, people who are, happen to be neurodivergent. It's also a, a lot of other marginalized groups. People who are Native Americans are starting to yeah. tell their own fantasy stories, you know, based on mm-hmm. some of their own cultures. We're seeing more and more African-American writers um, who are coming out telling their their stories. Um, and so it, it totally makes sense that neuro, neurodivergent um, authors and storytellers and script writers and comic book artists and everything are doing the exact same thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I love it. I, I love seeing it. I want to see stories from more and more types of people. Yeah. Um, I, you may have seen this on, on my social media posts lately, JS, I mentioned the childcraft dictionaries mm, um, Yeah, mm-hmm. and there's a couple that talk about stories from around the world and things like that. I grew up reading these, I grew up devouring them and just loving them. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in a, uh, a town that was probably about 50, 50 or so percent Caucasian, 35 or so percent uh, African-American and then the rest was kind of quote-unquote other and other was you know some Puerto Rican friends and uh, Okinawan friends Japanese Filipino um, Mm -hmm. and and most definitely biracial kids of you know whatever mix because I grew up in a military town during the 80s and very early Mm -hmm. 90s Um, and so I grew up always wanting some of these stories and so later when I realized that not everybody did, I was like, I don't, I don't understand. You know, mm-hmm. it's just kind of the way I grew up. And, um, you know, my African-American friends who during high school were like, yeah, I don't, I don't get into fantasy. Well, why? It's because I can't see myself in them. There's no, there's never me. I was yeah. like, oh, okay. I kind of get that. Um, so I love that we are all getting these voices or, or to be yeah. able to voice our stories. Um, and I think some of this is coming from the fact that it's much easier to self-publish now than it's ever been, whether it's mm-hmm. entirely digital or, um, you know, digital text or digital voice or yeah. print on demand or anything else. So people are literally carving out these niches and showing that there is an appetite for these stories, Yeah, which I, again, I, I absolutely love. Yeah. And I, that's something that I, uh, came across as I was trying to query my manuscript, uh, for my debut novel that's being released on March 8th, 2023, by the way. Um, (laughs) and, uh, I mean, there was a lot of factors involved, right? The, the fact that I was writing a serious women's fiction that was upmarket and um, not uh, strictly literary, although I have many opinions about literary even being its own genre, (laughs) Um, but more literary style and about very heavy themes of mental health and 
and abuse and, you know, women becoming mothers with these struggles um, on top of them. And um, it, it wasn't getting a lot of interest <laughs> because it's not a book that um, flies off the shelves, right? And um, it's not the kind of book that makes a ton of money. And with everything going on in the industry now, all the agents and, and editors leaving and um, just things not going super well. Yeah, it's becoming people a bigger, don't bigger want, mess. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, the agents and editors don't want to take a risk on a book like that from a debut author without a huge social media following. Um, and I, I came across a couple others who had similar books to mine in manuscript and were coming across the same roadblocks and querying. And one of them was told by a friend of theirs who's an agent that no one was going to want a book about mental health. No one was going to want that heavy book right yeah. now. And that's why I started going in the direction of um, exploring indie and self-publishing. And that's where I found this, mm -hmm. um, these predictions by these industry watchers who are saying that indie and self-publishing is the future for those kinds of books. And I think that's because readers are connecting with the voices that are telling these stories. They're connecting directly with the authors and self-publishing. You are putting yourself, I mean, you, you have to a little bit with traditional publishing too, but especially with self-publishing, you are connecting directly with your audience and you are in control and in charge of how yeah. you're marketing and how you're connecting to them. Yeah. And I think that's why that audience is there. Yeah. And it's, it can be, it can be a very, very powerful thing. Um, for anybody who is listening to this and is thinking, well, I, I, I do want to be a writer. Um, I would say that the person, one of the people who got me down the road to actually studying the craft and, and you know, aspiring to become an author um, is Milton Davis. Milton writes a lot of African and African diaspora um, based tales. And he talks about owning your own property up and down, straight up all the time. He talks about doing it yourself and owning it. Um, and it's really been pretty amazing. Um, and so, you know, if somebody has read one of my books and then is listening to this and is like, yeah, but John's kind of a crap author. You have Milton to blame, not me. Just saying. Mm -hmm. Milton, if you ever listen to this, sorry, man, it's the truth. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't think that's what's going to happen, though. Yeah. Um, Ludlow and, is, is a great writer. I very and, much enjoyed reading his work. And I, I've actually been one of the, the first people to read JS's uh, book that she's talking about. I'm not going to drop the mm -hmm. title unless she wants to or something because it's fluid. We can. It's yeah. called The Weight of Gold. Yeah, it, it was excellent. It was really good. It was some great depictions of mental illness. Um, without trying to get clinical on it, it was entirely through how it affects the characters 
and it you know reading at parts was like yep i i've seen it oh yep that's been me oh yep you know other than the the uh the gender thing so, yeah 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 i one of my goals with it was to show yes there are some behaviors and yes that impacts relationships but we're not blaming the illness for that that's just being human is that we're flawed and we make mistakes um and on on that note let's talk a little bit about our fascination with serial killers yeah (laughs) um because that is just very interesting and and some people are very upset about pop culture's obsession with serial killers right now um but let's just get this out of the way right now having antisocial personality disorder does not make you a serial killer it does not make a person a serial killer serial killers are capable of doing those things in i believe personally with or without whatever mental illness they have the mental illness can complicate things yeah obviously if you have an illness that prevents you from feeling empathy it you know takes away that remorse you might feel for taking a person's life yeah that doesn't mean that the illness is what caused you to take the person's life in the first place yeah you still have agency you still can make choices yeah i was doing some reading about it in my ample amount of time to prepare and um (laughs) yeah the difference between psychopaths and sociopaths is really pretty fascinating um psychopaths tend to be much more calculating i guess and Mm -hmm. sociopaths are hit much more with rage and some things along those lines um both lack tend to lack empathy Mm -hmm. um i I think technically the definition and again i am not a doctor i am not a uh, psychiatrist or a psychologist i do not study this or anything you know this is just a lay person's understanding in order to get through a podcast and be a writer Mm -hmm. um you know that lack of empathy is also kind of at the root of narcissism and a couple of other issues along those lines. And those people who lack empathy are not always a narcissist, a psychopath, or a sociopath. The mm-hmm. people who are those things almost always lack empathy, though. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, when I was a kid, I had a hard time with it sometimes. I didn't understand it. And then, you know, as I grew up, I realized, oh, you know, I actually have a lot of empathy and I don't, I maybe, maybe I tried to lock it away when I was a kid because of, you know, uh, some rough situations growing up. But, mm-hmm. you know, once I realized it and I started unlocking it, um, you know, it's been, it's been pretty amazing. So, yeah. 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 I think empathy in general has been misunderstood yeah. for a long time and people are starting to actually figure out what empathy is and that it can be learned and practiced it's not something that you're either born with or you're not yeah um and i i had a a friend who 
I mean, it, it, this is going to sound not very credible because it's going to be a friend of a friend, but I had a friend who had a, a very close person to them in their life and they were diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder mm-hmm. and they were not a bad person. Mm-hmm. They had to work very hard to be capable of things that neurotypical people take for granted but they were not incapable of thinking about others and learning the rules to respect another person because that didn't come so naturally for them but they were able to you know say okay this you don't treat another person like this or this or this you do treat a person like this and this and this and they had morals and they were able to follow those guidelines. They weren't I, I automatically the, serial killer. <laughs> I think the first part of that is a pretty normal um, explanation for neurodivergent people. Oh, yeah. You know, absolutely. the things that neuronormative people just take for granted is entirely foreign to us. Mm-hmm. The ability to sleep at night is entirely foreign to me. Unless I'm medicated, I'm not sleeping. Um, mm-hmm. Or I'm sleeping 10 minutes at a time for five, uh, asleep for 10 minutes, awake for five, and mm-hmm. then do that for about three and a half hours and that's it. So yeah. now when you're struggling, really struggling with some of those things, it's much, much, much harder to have empathy. It's mm-hmm. much harder to have any idea of of consequences you know how is this going to affect anybody and you tend to get or i got really self-focused i couldn't i couldn't deal with anything outside of myself Mm -hmm. um, which probably makes me come off as incredibly self-centered and it was just me trying to do my very level best yeah Um, and we're trying to survive yeah and we do get to see some of these things in fiction i think the sociopathy um example is is absolutely the strongest in i am not a serial killer by dan wells that entire series and Mm -hmm. it's a series about a young kid in a kind of a small quote-unquote normal american town and it's very much like a i don't know how to say this a um a scrubbed american town it's just kind of like a it's an it's an icon town. It's an archetypal American town. But mm-hmm. he um, he knows that he does not have this thing that helps him connect to other people. But he doesn't want to become... He's aware of it and he doesn't want to ha- make it an issue down the road. He doesn't want it to become an issue. So he has mm-hmm. all of these rules to follow. Like, you know, you can't talk to somebody like three days in a row or, you know, just these these really different rules and things. And um, mm-hmm. it, it's pretty interesting seeing that. But again, it's a fictional uh, example of somebody who has the issue who is not a bad person and doesn't want to be yeah. a bad person. Which we need more of. Yeah. Like it's it's fine to explore the idea of yeah. what's going on in a serial killer's head. Yeah. Um, I read an article from Psychology Today called Why Are We Fascinated by Serial Killers? Mm-hmm. And the author is was studying this idea of morbid curiosity 
and he found there was four categories to this supernatural body violation violence and the minds of dangerous people mm-hmm. and it's a valid morbid curiosity to have um to try and get into the mind of a dangerous person and what makes them the way they are and how do they think and how do they live with themselves with the things that they've done but we also need to be representing the other side of that of the the people who struggle with the same illnesses but who are good people and want to be good people and have the best of intentions even if it's 10 times or a hundred times harder for them to behave in the way that society says is the correct way to behave. Right. I think one of the reasons these people um, who deal with these issues or don't deal with them, I guess really is maybe a better way of explaining it are so dangerous is because they're not at all predictable. You Mm -hmm. know, you tend to have an, have an understanding of what's going to happen when you say good morning to somebody or something along those lines. And with these, with people who have these issues, who um, are not working to better themselves with it or make a, um, or not dealing with the day to day. How do I, how do I help myself get better at this um, or get better at being a person, which is a normal neurodivergent thing. Actually, we're all like, okay, Mm -hmm. how do I, how do I do better tomorrow? How am I a better version of myself tomorrow? And I handle this, mm-hmm. these issues better, you know, tomorrow and next week than I did today and most definitely five years ago or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. They're they're just unpredictable. You don't know what they're going to do. And that is really kind of the scary part. Um, yeah, that's a really good point. I And that's what makes a good story too, right? Yeah. Having yeah. an unpredictable character. Yeah. Whereas I would say that the people I've met in my life who are trained to be the most dangerous, um, you know, like a couple a couple of SEAL team members and Force Recon, more, much more Force Recon in the Marine Corps that I, that I was around, you know, they feel like they have the capacity for violence. Mm -hmm. Um, they just keep it very tightly under control. And then I met this Mm -hmm. guy after I got out of the Marine Corps, when I was in, uh, industrial design school, gosh, this was Oh one. He teaches the way of the samurai and he is, I mean, obviously he's really good at it and he's, I don't know if I would consider him a master. I don't know what he would consider himself, but he felt like violence on a leash more than anybody else I've ever met. Mm-hmm. like I, like he was just so utterly in control of his violence and yet had the capacity to visit visit violence at any given point that he decided to unleash um mm-hmm. and yet very very tightly controlled and a really good guy i mean my very short um time being around him you know i i really wish i could have taken classes from him that would have been that would have been a pretty mm-hmm. amazing thing so with our last like 15 minutes or so, um, let's dig into our own work and talk mm. about how we're using um, mental illness and why we're using it the way we are. Yeah. I can start, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, that would be good because you're, you, you, you've got a, a lot, uh, 
a lot more developed <laughs> than I have <laughs> at this point. Yeah, I, and I have, a, I have a book coming out in a few months that's, I mean, the entire theme of it is mental illness. And yeah. um, just as a brief overview, there's a character with um, depression who is living in a time where it's not well known and she doesn't necessarily know that's what's happening. Um, and it's a very situational depression. Mm-hmm someone in her life has passed away and there's been huge life transitions for her. And then we have a character who has a more serious mental illness and eventually gets diagnosed with the proper thing. Um, abuses alcohol here and there. <laughs> um, and then we have a character who grows up in an environment that's very uh, aware or much more aware of mental illness. Mm-hmm. And she's diagnosed with depression and anxiety as a teenager. And then when she becomes a mom, deals with postpartum OCD mm-hmm. and experiences one of the more um, or one of the less common mental illnesses and it explores how that changes for her having, you know, just the common colds, right. I just isn't, you know, the yeah. great, well, great word there, but um, transitioning from this like common cold where she can be open about it. She doesn't have to feel um, like, she's an outcast because she sees a therapist and she has these things going on and she's been diagnosed um, to a diagnosis that she is more ashamed of and wants to keep more hidden. Um, And my point in doing that is to show the wide range of experiences as best as you can in a you know, 70K word book, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but also to show how things have changed over generations of time with what has been accepted and what we are talking about. And, you know, it, this all came from when I started writing a blog um, seven years ago. And I actually talked about you know, the things I was going through with, you know, my diagnoses that I already had from when I was a teenager to new postpartum diagnosis. And, um, and then eventually, you know, being diagnosed and then having that diagnosis be retracted and which happens, happened to me a couple times. Um, and I was, I became open about those things. And I also became open about other things that women struggle with, like mm-hmm. um, having a miscarriage and, you know, sometimes not wanting to be a mom after you've become a mom and mm-hmm. the things that people are afraid to talk about. And I had so many women reach out to me and say, thank you for talking about these things, or they shared their stories with me. And I realized 
we need more of this, of these stories out in the open. And so I decided to write the book, the fictionalized version of a combination of all these different women's stories who I have interacted with over the years. Um, and get these things talked about, get a discussion going. So that's sort of my my reason for writing a whole book about yeah. mental illness. Yeah, and it it's good. It does a great job of exploring these issues, I think, and in a thank you healthy and respectable or respected. Wow, I can't even speak. Yes, <laughs> it's respectful. <laughs> um. And it's great. I I've I've really enjoyed it. And you know, some of the the ways you tied everything together was like, oh yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. I. Yeah, I don't want to say a whole lot because I just don't want to. I don't want to do any spoilers or anything for people. Um, mm-hmm. If ever you have looked at your life and been like, gosh, I kind of want to understand myself a little bit better, and you have mental health struggles consider definitely consider picking up the weight of gold because i think it's one of those things that you can read and be like wow i can really relate to that um gentlemen you as well because i got quite a bit (laughs) out of it and i am so incredibly grateful i'm a guy um (laughs) because i don't have to deal with the you know a lot of the biological crap that that y'all do um yeah it's not um the genre my husband usually reads um he sticks to speculative normally he doesn't read a lot of contemporary um but he did say he enjoyed it and i know that's not exactly (laughs) um an unbiased opinion there um but he related to it because he has a woman in his life that is very close to him that relates to those things so he related to some of the the male characters who are close to the women in the story. Mm -hmm. And he also related to the more universal struggles that are, you know, independent of of gender and role as role, the role being motherhood. Um, So I, while I, I don't think most of my audience is going to be men picking this up. I do hope that there's at least some men who read it and, you know, connect with it in some way. Yeah. Um, let's talk about your work for a minute. Excuse me. <clears throat> um, let's talk about your work mm-hmm. and your plans for incorporating yeah. some of these realities, particularly with military themes yeah. and, and the impact that that has on someone's mental health. Oh gosh. Yeah. So, um, I kind of, I, I'm on, I'm on a dual track with this. So I love writing short stories. Um, although, you know, I'm in developmental hell on, on all of them, but one, um, mostly because, you know, I have this great big MFA in front of me and that feels like a ton of work, even though that's literally my job right now is to do this MFA. Um, it is a lot of work though. It's not a, it's a, it's a rigorous program. Yeah, Yeah, it definitely is. And, you know, um, so 
there is a a series of modern or close to modern, so I would say contemporary short stories dealing with veterans issues. Um, and then I'm also a big speculative fiction nut. I love fantasy and science fiction. And I w- was like, hey, you know, maybe I should start doing some military fantasy or military science fiction, um, largely based on the work of Marco Clouse, um, who does military science fiction. He doesn't necessarily deal with this side of it, mm-hmm. but it's um, he he's written some some really damn good books that I've really enjoyed. And so I started thinking about doing military fantasy as well. Um, mm-hmm. But even in that, I want to make sure that I'm dealing with the human toll on health, uh, both physical and mental, of wars and what happens um, because of those wars. Now, I will also likely have a bunch of characters or at least a few characters that have mental health struggles outside of what's going on in this conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, my two main characters are probably going to start out as mentally healthy kids, really. They're younger, mm-hmm. they're younger characters. Um, but I want to show the effects of PTSD likely on both of them. Um, mm-hmm. And they're in very, very different situations. Um, and then as this war advances, this conflict advances, um, and then the nation, the kingdom gets more and more desperate, it's going to like, you know, open up its jail cells to people who are willing to go out and join this fight, um, which we have seen in the past in real history. Yep. Um, and so some of those people are literally only going to be in jail because they're mentally ill and people don't understand it. Um, mm-hmm. And so I want to kind of explore and play around with some of those, some of those things. Um, that's going to be well beyond the first book though. Um, let me get through this one first yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and figure out, you know, these two main characters, especially, and, and a couple of the secondary mm-hmm. characters, but yeah, yeah, I really want to dig into these things. I want to dig into how conflict shapes people and she, people's health. Um, and we see it. We see it every day. If you follow um, in the United States, if you follow the um, the Veterans Affairs Department's um, news and, and some things along those lines or veterans law, especially, you're going to see mm-hmm. that there's a lot of this that goes on day to day in our world right now. Um, the PACT Act that got signed not too long ago, um, you know, taking care of people who were affected by burn pits in Iraq and Afghanistan, um, mm-hmm. although you know, we've known there are problems with burn pits since like Korea and Vietnam. Um, there was something else. Oh, uh, the first responders for 9-11, you know, how many of them ended up with cancers mm-hmm. and, and, and dying and, you know, having some really awful things happen to them and John Stewart's um, effect on those things. So, yeah, I, I want to dig into all of that. I don't want to to be really in in your face about it. I want it to mm-hmm. be there. Um, but I tend to write, you've noticed this, I'm sure, I tend to write on two different levels. One, for the quote-unquote average person or the lay person to be able to read and enjoy. And then the people who really know the topic, like combat veterans, 
get yeah. something entirely different out of um, my hospice short story. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's probably what it's going to be like. More of that. We need more yeah. of the the fiction that can be enjoyed because it is fantasy and speculative and and people love that stuff but also be appreciated for um its accuracy and realism as far as how characters respond to conflict and the the lasting consequences of those conflicts yeah and that's kind of the thing is i want this i want somebody who's struggling with ptsd or, or or treats ptsd to look at this and say oh yeah and then I want combat veterans to look at it and say, oh, yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, the the guys in Vietnam who are special forces, whether it was the, the SEALs or the recon, force recon, or um, the ranger patrols, which are called LARPs, the long-range ranger patrols, or long-range reconnaissance patrols, excuse me. Um, I want them to be able to look at it and say, oh, yeah, that, that feels right. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's going to be really pretty interesting. Um, and... I think anytime you talk about the military and conflict, you've got to talk about, again, the human toll, um, whether it's physical health or mental health or, you know, broken marriages, broken relationships, Mm -hmm. destroyed, whatever, um, because it, it, it all happens and it happens because we send people into harm's way. For those who didn't hear our episode last week, we go a little more into that, um, the more physical and, uh, concrete uh, what's the word I'm looking for material toll um, of these things and you know in this episode we're we focused on the the internal toll a little yeah. more yeah. Um, but they're both important yeah and they yeah. both deserve to be represented yeah i uh so my healthcare is entirely through the department of veterans affairs um and um it's been an amazing experience actually i've i've had some amazing doctors i've they again you know they're one of the groups that have saved my life quite literally um and so when i go to when i have to go to my outpatient clinic um and I see guys in wheelchairs with World War II hats on, although that's becoming much more rare, um, or mm-hmm. Korean War veterans or Vietnam veterans who are, you know, shattered somehow. They're missing a leg or missing a, a hand or, I mean, you just, you see it all. And yeah. I just think, you know, we we need to appreciate, first of all, we need to appreciate what what they did. Um, second, and just as importantly, we need to appreciate the, the, the harm that it's done to their lives. Yeah. 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 It's not the story that we've been fed since we were children of, you know, these coming back as these heroes, um, they come back with a lot of memories and, and completely changed yeah. things that they have to carry with them for the rest of their lives. I, I think I also want to explore, um, we haven't really talked about this directly, but um, what happens when somebody doesn't come back, you know, somebody gets killed on the battlefield mm-hmm. and, and that, that toll on it, on that person's family. Um, my 
school um, in Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, that I was at junior college at. So anybody who's local to the area, Central Piedmont Community College, which is one of the largest colleges in the United States, actually. It's huge. Huh. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. I didn't amazing. know that. Um, we had uh, a very strong veteran community and we had a veteran support center and I have no idea what all that's called now but we would put out for veterans day we would put out memorial flags we were Mm -hmm. college was closed during memorial day so you know that was the beginning of summer break so it was never done then it was always done um during veterans day instead and we would put a flag out for every american casualty during the war on terror And one of the things that I wish people would understand is that every single one of those flags represented a family that was shattered somehow. They lost somebody that they love, whether it's a, um, you know, a sister, a a mother, a daughter, um, a friend, you know, same thing on the other gender side. Um, You know, it could have been somebody's son, father, husband, all three of those you know, uh, a brother. I mean, it's just, it's so, it, those spillover effects are everywhere. You see it. Yeah. Um, you know, snipping somebody out of a social network leaves a hole. I mean, mm-hmm. it really does. There's a lot of people who, you know, maybe the person is a reservist or a guardsman who goes overseas and then ends up not coming back. And that person's work is entirely affected because they expected that person back. And now, you know, on, on the one side, they're having to train a new person. On the other side, everybody has to figure out how to not have that person in their life anymore. Yeah. You know, whether it was a work friend or a, a critical, you know, a critical worker or something for the business. So there's mm-hmm. just all these effects and we don't think about it. We don't talk about them. We think, I think in some ways we think that they're, to do so would be disrespectful, but I think it's disrespectful mm-hmm. not talking about that, about them. Right. So, yeah. Right. I think uh, an important aspect that you've sort of alluded to is this complexity. It's never so simple as this happened, so then this. It's a very complex network of consequences and reactions to an event. Yeah. And that's how mental illness is as well. Yeah. It's not as simple as if you're a serial killer, you must be a, a psychopath. It's not as simple as yeah. everyone who has narcissistic personality disorder is abusive or yeah. everyone who's had abusive parents, their parents must have been narcissists. Um, it's not as simple as if you have bipolar, then you're probably, then you're an alcoholic, right? These things aren't absolute. It's very complex. And and to take a kind of a step in the direction of the fiction that we were just talking about, you know, my mental health issues don't just affect me. They affect my roommate. They affect my friends. They affect Mm -hmm. my family. Um, You know, my sister and Mm -hmm. her kids and her husband, my brother, um, you know, it, it affects everybody that is in mm-hmm. my network one way or another, whether it's I don't talk to that person as often as I, I, I should um, or, 
you know, I'm somehow awkward or I miss something entirely because I'm so tired I can't think straight or something along those mm-hmm. lines. So yeah, there there are spillover effects that that they're just knock on effects that happen constantly, just every single day. Yeah, my mental illness, um, which I it's a fairly newer um, diagnosis that's finally accurate, but um, without getting too specific, it impacts every moment of my husband's and my children's day Yeah. to the point where my children have to know that there is something very different about me Mm -hmm. because otherwise it would be confusing and scary. Mm -hmm. And so I've had to tell them exactly what I have and what that means mm-hmm. and it might seem like a lot for kids that age to to handle but it, it impacts them on a daily basis yeah and i think fiction can really explore how the nuance of relationship and and even just basic human communication yeah is is touched by all of these complexities yeah. of the human mind. Yeah. And I think I think sometimes people look at it and say, okay, those two are siblings. How come this person is affected and this person isn't? You know, there's all kinds of weird things that happen. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of stuff like that. So, you know, in fiction, you can absolutely you absolutely should have a family that seems quote unquote normal and yet one of them is dealing with mental health because it's completely possible. Because mm-hmm. now we know there's a genetic, there's a genetic part to mental health, health, and then there's also, well, just like any gene, there's an epigenetic, which is the thing that ter- makes that gene actually express. So, yeah, you know, in my case, part of it is a traumatic brain injury from the Marine Corps. I literally dropped a tank hatch on my head, and I don't mean like a fuel tank hatch. I mean an M1A1 Abrams main tank hatch in the couple of. <gasps> um and it was not intentional obviously it was i was just a little too tall and i've been doing i've been getting in and out of those tanks i've done a whole line of them doing some technical inspections on equipment inside Mm -hmm. of them and this this latch stuck so would i have had mental health issues anyway yeah probably it this made it much much worse and then you throw in the Mm -hmm. fact that i've got you know some other physical stuff going on and that obviously compounds it even more and so you know mental health is really complex and Mm -hmm. so those characters and those situations that those characters are dealing with should also be pretty complex Mm -hmm. so yeah to go back way back to the beginning of this conversation i'm really excited that this is becoming more and more um seen because it means more and more of us are are getting to the point where we're we're dealing with those things uh to quote to quote who was it teddy and um only murders in the building Mm -hmm. not a lot of deaf people not a lot of deaf people get to write movies which is which is why it looks like deaf people it was uh theo 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 Theo. that's right not teddy theo oh oh my Mm -hmm. gosh um, yeah. Yeah. Very cool moment. Yeah. That is is relatable to pretty much any minority. Yeah. You know, we're we're now getting to the point where more and more of us are able to write our stories or write stories, even if they're not about us. 
they're always going to deal with us or they should yeah to some to some extent yeah all right well we are out of time all right thank you for joining us today for this discussion yeah thank you so much everybody take care this has been we're lying but that's okay big thanks to our listeners for your support if you enjoyed this podcast leave us a review Thank you to our one-man production and tech support team, Max Garrity, for making this podcast possible.